Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Bombardier Second Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the discussion over to Mr. Patrick Ghosh, Vice President, Corporate Strategy and Investor Relations for Bombardier. Please go ahead, Mr. Ghosh. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bombardier's Earnings Call for the second quarter and the June 30th, 2020. I wish to remind you that during the course of this call, we may make projections or other forward-looking statements regarding future events or the financial performance of the corporation. There are risks that actual events or results may differ materially from these statements. For additional information on forward-looking statements and underlying assumptions, please refer to the MDNA. I'm making this cautionary statement on behalf of each speaker on this call. With me today is our President and Chief Executive Officer, Eric Martel, and our Chief Financial Officer, John DeBert, to review our operations and financial results for the second quarter of 2020. I would now like to turn over the discussion to Eric. Alors, merci, Patrick. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for uh, joining us uh, this morning. Let me start this morning by recognizing uh, at first how difficult the past quarter has been for all of us. I certainly did not expect my first quarter back to be so challenging with the COVID-19 pandemic affecting nearly every aspect of our operation, our end markets, and our financial performance. The first half of 2020 also marked a number of historic low points for our industries. We saw the sharpest decline in passenger rail traffic ever, and business jet usage fell to levels far worse than during the financial crisis or after the 9-11 terrorist attack. During this time, our number one concern, of course, was the health and safety of our employees and communities. And I'm extremely proud of how the Bombardier team responded to this challenge. So this morning, I wanna thank our employees for their support and dedication to the company, to each other and to our customer during this extremely challenging period. I also want to highlight and recognize how quickly our employees have embraced the six near-term priorities that I set out when I joined Bombardier in April, and which I shared with you during our last call. Before John goes through the details of our second quarter financial performance, I want to share my perspective on our progress in achieving these priorities. In the second quarter, we made significant progress on our first priority, proactively managing the business through the COVID-19 crisis to secure our long-term sustainability. This includes taking swift actions to reduce costs and preserve cash as our operation were temporarily shut down. It also included a complete reset of our production rates and global supply chains when we resume our operation to align with the new market condition and customer requirements. This was a massive undertaking. It requires close, 
daily coordination with thousands of suppliers and customers, as well as the rapid implementation of a new set of safety protocol at all our sites, and extensive employee training. Today, we are operating at our targeted rates in all 51 of our manufacturing sites and across our service center network, and we are cautiously optimistic about some of the early positive trends we are seeing across our industries. We recently secured major rail contracts in India, North America, and Europe. Passenger rail traffic is starting to recover in Europe, and business jet utilization in the U.S. has rebounded from its record-setting low in April and May. However, even with these early signs of stabilization, we expect the next few quarters will be challenging and difficult to predict, as it is still unclear how the pandemic will unfold and what path the economic recovery will take. While we can control the course of the pandemic, there are many things that are within our control. And that is where we are focusing. And the results of our efforts are clear, are significantly better than expected cash usage in Q2, combined with our new billion dollar credit facility, provide us with additional flexibility allowing us to continue to execute on our priorities during the ongoing pandemic. Turning to our second priority, last quarter, I told you that making our rail business more predictable was a top priority. And the new charge we took this quarter highlight the urgency of achieving this objective. While we are disappointed with the need to take additional write-downs on our well-known legacy project, clear progress is being made addressing the remaining challenges. Moreover, we are making the right structural changes to allow us to deliver more predictable performance in the future. This includes going back to the basics and ensuring that we have the right project management tools and processes in place to proactively manage the business. We're also relooking at how we deploy project management talent across the organization, and we've established a new senior project management position reporting directly to Danny to help us better manage resources, risk, and opportunities across the portfolio, and to ensure we regain clear visibility and control of project costs. As I conduct my own deep dive reviews of our large legacy project, it's clear that we became a build and retrofit operation, either because of late issue identification, a lack of clear accountability, or because we cut engineer resources too deeply in certain area to meet misguided headcount targets. As a result, we incurred significant cost overruns and customer penalties. Going forward, and with our new platform now reaching maturity, our goal is clear eliminate rework, and build trains right the first time to fully leverage past investment and unlock the value of BT's $34 billion backlog. Turning now to Bombardier Aviation-specific priorities, in the second quarter, Bombardier Aviation successfully resumed all manufacturing operation and was able to manage onerous 
travel restriction and border closure to deliver 20 aircraft, including five global 7500. We also took the difficult step of announcing a significant workforce adjustment as we needed to realign our production rate to the current COVID-impacted market condition. Today, we still see 2020 business jet deliveries industry-wide down approximately 30% year over year. Longer term, the emerging trends are encouraging. Business jet traffic is recovering at a much faster rate than commercial traffic. Pre-owned inventory level remain healthy. Cancellation are very limited, and new interest in private air travel is generating sales activity. At Bombardier, we delivered 46 airplanes, including 11 Global 7500, in the first half of the year, despite losing two months of production. We expect to do better in the second half of the year, including delivering at least twice as many Global 7500 as we did in the first half. This, of course, assumes new business, no new business interruption from a potential second COVID-19 wave. From an aftermarket perspective, our service centers remain full and are operating at normal capacity with most maintenance activities being performed on schedule. Longer term, we remain committed to pursuing aftermarket growth opportunities as we complete our transition to a pure play business jet company and expect higher business jet utilization rates due to new demand for private air travel and the enhanced safety it provides. A few words on our fifth priority, where we continue to make steady progress. As you know, we closed the sale of the CRG program to MHI in the second quarter as planned. And we now expect the aerostructure business sale to Spirit to close later this fall. We also continue to make very good progress working with Alstom to complete the sale of our transportation business. Despite the pandemic, our senior leaders and planning teams have remained in constant contact and have kept the process moving forward to its original timeline. Last week, we achieved a significant milestone when the European Commission provided their conditional approval of the sale, clearing one of the biggest regulatory hurdles. With, the milestone behind, with this milestone behind us, our attention is now focused on completing the work council consultation, which will allow us to convert to current non-binding, the, the current non-binding MOU into a definitive sales and purchase agreement. Our final near-term priority involves defining a clear vision for the future and building a winning culture, a culture that is above all people-centric. And given the current conversations happening around the world on the need to confront systemic racism, I think it is appropriate to use this opportunity to reaffirm our commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equality as an integral part of Bombardier's culture. Let me be clear, fully embracing these principles, diversity, inclusion, and treating, treating people, all employees with the utmost respect our requirement for working at Bombardier. Moreover, we are committed to the following actions. We will intensify our focus on recruiting and developing a more diverse workforce, 
we will further invest in creating a workplace environment where all employees feel supported, respected, and included. And we will continue to evolve our community relation program and partnership to promote greater opportunities for all. This is an area where I'm personally committed. And in my new position, I will ensure that we put this commitment into action. Okay, let me stop here and turn it over to Joan to discuss the detail of our second quarter results and provide more color on our outlook for the remainder of the year. Joan. Thank you, Eric, and good morning, everyone. As you heard from Eric, the first half of 2020 was very challenging. We managed through COVID-related shutdowns and disruptions and implemented a whole new set of safety protocols across our operations. We also reset our production levels and delivery schedules with customers and suppliers around the world. At the same time, we took actions to ensure we, we added additional flexibility and liquidity to execute our strategic plan despite the ongoing and unpredictable situation. As I shared with you in early May, gaining financial flexibility was one of our key priorities going into the second quarter. We achieved this objective in different ways by tightly managing the resumption of our activities to limit Q2 cash usage to $1 billion, by working on a new $1 billion secured credit facility announced a couple of weeks ago, by further amending our banking covenants, notably to extend financial relief into the third quarter, and finally, by closing the sale of the CRJ with net proceeds of $575 million and making progress towards our remaining divestitures which position us to reshape our capital structure next year. As we start the third quarter, pro forma liquidity stands at $3.5 billion. With this liquidity and assuming continued recovery of our operations and markets into the back half of the year, we feel we have the financial flexibility to operate our business through the challenges caused by the COVID pandemic, as well as complete the sale of BT to Alstom. Let me now provide some details on the new $1 billion working capital facility. This is a secured loan guaranteed by certain aviation subsidiaries to be used by aviation, mainly to manage working capital as we realign production to market demand. Closing is expected in the coming days, and we expect to draw the minimum amount of $750 million, adding to our balance sheet cash. An additional $250 million is available to us on a delayed draw basis should it be required for operations and subject to having the right borrowing base. It is important to note that the facility carries no financial covenants, supporting our objective of increasing our financial flexibility. While half of the amount drawn will be repaid from the transportation sales proceeds at closing, we have the flexibility to continue with the remaining portion of the facility for up to three years. This loan is meant to be a temporary facility to allow us to bridge to a stronger capital structure following the sale of BT. Should more attractive sources of capital be available after the closing, we, we could choose to repay the entire facility early. Turning now to Q2 results, which reflect the significant impact from COVID-19 on our businesses. Consolidated revenues reached $2.7 billion, 37% lower year over year, 
and a significant shortfall to our plan as we originally expected double-digit growth for the full year 2020. For aviation, these, revenue, these revenues include 20, 20 business aircraft deliveries compared to 35 one year earlier as demand declined and travel restrictions postponed deliveries. Specifically, on the Global 7500, the production ramp-up returned to plan as operations restarted in May, and we managed to deliver five aircraft during the quarter. On aftermarket services, lower revenues were due to lower customer flying hours, although the service centers remained fully operational even during the crisis. At BT, revenues for the quarter were approximately 700 million lower year over year, mainly due to lost production time. These revenues largely remain in the backlog and are simply deferred in time. On earnings, adjusted EBITDA was in a loss position at $319 million and the adjusted EBIT loss was $427 million, driven materially lower by a $435 million charge recorded at transportation, mainly on late-stage loss-making contracts. Before the impact of the charge of transportation, consolidated EBIT was closer to break-even mainly due to facility shutdowns across both businesses. This caused a reduction in revenues, produced higher than normal unabsorbed costs, and generated significant disruption costs. The Q2 charge reflects continued cost pressure as we move key transportation projects, mainly in the UK and Germany, past critical engineering and operational milestones. Specifically, on these contracts, we achieved or are in the process of achieving this quarter the homologation and entry into service on two more applications of the Aventra platform in the UK and on certain other projects in Germany. Further, during the quarter, we recorded a restructuring charge of $28 million as we adjusted our workforce to new production levels. This charge was recorded as a special item. Our free cash flow usage was $1 billion for the quarter, and again, includes a significant shortfall associated with the pandemic, estimated at between $700 and $900 million. Over the last few weeks, we were able to mitigate the impact of COVID on our cash flow usage, which came in approximately $500 million better than initial expectations. We achieved this by temporarily, temporarily reducing our workforce while plants were idle, followed by a timely recovery of operations once the situation had stabilized, resulting in higher than expected deliveries and by benefiting from wage subsidy programs in multiple jurisdictions, as well as by reducing our inventory intake as we adjusted rates, and finally, by tightly managing costs. On a year-to-date basis, free cash flow usage totals $2.7 billion, of which an estimated $1.5 billion is COVID-related. While a small portion of this shortfall, approximately $90 million, is the net impact of direct and incremental costs in our operations for managing the pandemic. A larger share sits in higher inventory 
and contract assets on our balance sheet. This higher working capital is directly attributable to lower deliveries and lower advances on lower orders. Looking closer at sources of cash shortfall, BT accounts for a third of this amount and is expected to recover most of the lost production time and deferred orders over the next 18 to 24 months as operations return to normal and production schedules are fully realigned. The other two-thirds of the cash shortfall is related to the current lower demand environment in business aviation markets. In this case, we lowered our production rates and will maintain them at this level until we see clear signs of improving demand, which remains relatively difficult to assess at this stage. We also entered into new, the new credit facility to support this working capital buildup. Looking at the remainder of the year, while the global situation continues to be difficult to predict, we are continuing to prudently manage our business towards break-even free cash flow in the second half of the year. This assumes that our operations continue to stabilize and implies that we are carrying the benefits of better free cash flow from the second quarter into the full year. Our, free cash, our full year free cash flow is expected to include an impact of approximately two and a quarter billion dollars from COVID. 1.5 billion of which is now behind us. Of the estimated $750 million impact remaining for the second half of the year, approximately half is due to the wind down of a reverse factoring facility originally created to support inventory ramp up on the global 7500. Disruptions to the financial markets have rendered this facility too expensive. While a drag on 2020 free cash flow, this wind down should benefit our financial flexibility as a standalone aviation business in 2021 and beyond. In addition to the two and a quarter billion dollar COVID impact, we also now expect 300 to 350 million of cash outflows against the charge recorded this past quarter at BT. It also includes, as originally anticipated, paying out approximately $200 million against the remaining CRJ RVG balance, reducing these non-trade liabilities to less than $200 million by year end, and this to be paid over the next three years. This will reduce free cash flow drag by approximately $100 million or more starting in 2021. Now, breaking down the outlook by quarter and consistent with prior years, the third quarter cash flow usage should improve sequentially over Q2. We then expect free cash flow to turn positive into the last, into the last three months as we release working capital, mainly at BT. At BA, the typical working capital release in the fourth quarter is expected to be lower than prior years given recent disruptions and rate adjustments. So to wrap up, as we stabilize operations following the successful restart of facilities worldwide, we remain cautious in our approach. We are focused on managing and market volatility by staying close to our customers and delivering on our backlogs. We are also working to protect the level of liquidity and the financial flexibility that we have built. And we are dedicated to executing on the strategic roadmap we created by completing the remaining 
to divestitures and emerging with a stronger balance sheet. With that, operator, we're ready for our first question. Thank you. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset and then press star 1. Should you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. To allocate time for all participants, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. The first question is from Seth Seifman from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, and good, good morning. Um, I was wondering if you could talk uh, a little bit about the, um, you know, the, the reduction that you made to the, the workforce in aviation, um, and you know how that makes you think about you know, what the appropriate level of production should be, you know, going forward as we as we head into 2021. Yeah, so um, Seth, maybe uh, thanks for your, uh, your question. Uh, clearly, as I stated earlier, we see the market, uh, you know, being reduced by uh, roughly 30%. Uh, we made that decision early June uh, after, you know, furlough to reduce uh, on a more permanent basis our, our rate to align to that market. Uh, so far, being a couple of months into it, we think that we are at the right place right now. Uh, it is still a little early to call for a long-term outlook right now, as I stated earlier, because, uh, you, you know, we still have a bit of uncertainty ahead of us. But as of today, I would say that, uh, you know, we feel comfortable with the rates we have, uh, you know, uh, adjusted uh, last June. Um, you know, there is a nice activity. As I said earlier, the airplanes are flying again. Uh, you know, we're not exactly back to pre-COVID, but uh, getting very close to in terms of the flying of, uh, of the business jet. And at the same time, you know, there is sale activity. Uh, you know, not further than yesterday, I was in touch with the, our salespeople, and uh, we've seen activity, uh, you know, more than expected in Q2, and uh, this uh, continue also. So uh, we are encouraged by that because as the first priority will be to fill our backlog, make sure we have uh, enough airplane. But so far, uh, you know, we feel uh, comfortable to where we stand. Okay, great. And, and then um, I guess as a, a follow-up, um, you know, if, if we think about probably in, in 2021, 2022, you know, a little bit less uh, level of activity on, on the business jet side in terms of sales than, you know, maybe was expected uh, at, at the beginning of the year um, and a little bit different um, cash flow profile this year uh, that kind of changes the, the cap structure a little bit. Um, you know, how do you think about when a standalone business jet entity uh, can be free cash flow positive? That's a fair question. Um, I would say that our intent here is to have our businesses moving forward uh, regularly on a free cash flow positive. Uh, I, I don't see, you know, reason unless, you know, we have major investment going or major ramp up, you know, why our business should not be in a position to deliver free cash flow on a regular basis. We've uh, made major investment. We have an amazing portfolio right now in every segment where we are competing. And I think that moving forward, our airplanes are extremely attractive. As I mentioned earlier, despite the COVID-19, we still have a lot of activity in sales. And, uh, you know, we expect, uh, you know, if we have made the right rate decision 
and 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 operating with the uh, the uh, an optimal backlog uh, that our business should be producing cash uh, on a regular basis. There'll be exception uh, as we ramp up or do adjustment on the rates, but I guess that's that's the plan we have in mind. Great, thank you very much. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. The next question is from Walter Spracklin from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. It's Ralph Stroud calling in for uh, Walter Sprout and RBC. Morning. I just wanted morning. to take a quick. I just wanted to, to quickly touch on the uh, the global 7500. You you had mentioned expectations to deliver you know at least twice as many global 7500 in the second half. So you know looking at what you guys are at in the first half, it looks like at least 22 in the second half. Um, looking forward, you know should should we expect that kind of the full or the the prior full production run rate of of roughly 40 is is achievable potentially as as early as next year? So I think that uh, you know we we've always indicated that uh, our um, our desire was to get to a ramp rate of uh, 35 to 40 aircraft, and uh, that would be kind of a, uh, a steady state mature production line, um, and also uh, you know well matched with uh, with our current uh, backlog and the expectations we have uh, for current customer deliveries, and I think that the aircraft has uh, an extremely uh, Bright uh, future and it's well well positioned to uh, to continue to uh, to be able to sustain that kind of a, a mature rate. So you know to your point, I mean uh, we're looking at something uh, over 30 aircraft this year. Uh, that's all from the backlog, and I would say that that 35 uh, plus aircraft uh, mature rate is uh, is clearly uh, our objective. Okay, awesome. That's that's helpful. And then one one last one for me, just on on the timing of the the aerostructure sale. You had mentioned in the fall, but but just uh, just for modeling purposes, do you think that sales more likely to occur in in Q3 or in Q4? Yeah, I think you know it'll be uh, it'll be probably somewhere in the late fall, which could straddle the the, the two quarters. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, uh, we're working with Spirit, and I think uh, transaction uh, September October uh, time frame is probably uh, realistic. Okay. Okay. Awesome. That's that's everything for me, and I'll, I'll pass the line. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from David Strauss from Barclays. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. So, um, following up on uh, on aerostructures and the sale, there, I think uh, Airbus has made some announcements with regard to what they're going to do with the three twenty thrust reverser program, which I think uh, was supposed to go to aerostructures. Can you comment on that and how that? could potentially impact the uh, the sale process. Yeah, so clearly, you know, Airbus has not made any uh, uh, completely public yet, you know, and there's still, you know, there is discussion. Uh, we are monitoring that situation, and, and we are, as we speak, remaining in discussion with either Airbus and Spirit. But there is not much right now. Uh, you, know, uh, you know what the commercial aircraft status is right now. There's a lot of uh, moving parts. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion happening at the, you know, in all kind of platform. So that's one of those discussions taking place. But uh, right now, uh, I would say uh, the discussion, uh, you know, the thing remain in discussion with Airbus and Spirit. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> John, I guess I'll follow up for you on, on working capital um, and the improvement that you expect there in the, in the second half. Can you maybe uh, give us some help of what to expect in terms of some of the moving pieces? I know, you know, in the first half you saw a big drag on the, uh, the advances side and, and payable side. Uh, you know, what happens there maybe along with inventory and specifically in the second half? Thanks. Sure. So you know that you know even seasonally, uh, typically we have uh, a build of, uh, of working cap in the front end of the year, the second half of the year. Particularly in Q4, we do uh, reduce working capital uh, significantly. I think that uh, what you can expect is that um, uh, delivery rates should, uh, especially on on the BA side, uh, assuming you know kind of a normalized uh, return of markets here, should start to uh, to improve. Um, with respect to uh, to trains. Uh, we've been building a significant amount of inventory, and this also precedes uh, 2020. And uh, that uh, that is an important part of uh, of us uh, moving through the backlog. I mean, it's it's all sold backlog with the significant uh, uh, train uh, finished trains uh, in inventory, which are now awaiting homologation, particularly in places like uh, the UK and, and Germany. And so our uh, our view there is that uh, uh, BT will be able to, uh, as they've now resumed operations, start to uh, to deliver uh, uh, product to customers in a in a in a more rapid way, which would then release uh, some important uh, delivery payments. So um, I guess you know, I mean, for us at this point in time, to be frank, the the the, the target is to drive a break-even second half. Um, we're typically, you know, better in Q3 than we are in Q2, even on a normal basis. Uh, uh, cash comes down. Uh, in this particular situation, given uh, the stress on uh, on Q2, we do expect to see, you know, real improvement. And then Q3, uh, Q4, we've been in the past somewhere between, you know, 750 and a billion of cash generation. I think that uh, in this case here, I mean, there's going to be a muted impact probably from what kind of a release we have, but. Uh, Certainly, uh, we are expecting to be able to uh, recover whatever burn is in three uh, in Q4. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Ron Epstein from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Yeah. Hey. Good morning, guys. Can you can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you well, Ron. Thank you. Great. So maybe a couple questions. It, it seems like one in business aviation you guys have benefited from a large installed fleet, right? Um, and that fleet's aging, right? Do you, I mean, how do you think about that? And, you know, one of the things we worry about is as that fleet ages, your, you know, your, your aftermarket for that is going to slow down. I mean, your, your, your maintenance repair overhaul, all the services that you do on that fleet. Um, I mean, and if you think about that, particularly being the case um, with Learjet, you know, that, that fleet, hasn't been renewed in a while. Um, so first question, how do you think about that? So, uh, so Ron, let me, uh, uh, so there's a couple of points here that are important to me. We have about an install base of roughly 5,000 airplanes flying out there. And I think uh, I clearly indicated that one of our priority was to grow our services business. And you're absolutely right. A lot of uh, the airplane are starting to be more mature right now. They need some major C-check inspection, and, and we are planning to attract those into our service center. Uh, our service center have shown amazing resilience. Uh, I was just uh, sharing with you uh, earlier that uh, you know our, our service center were full 
pretty much through the whole COVID period. Um, you know, we've maintained a high level of activity uh, everywhere, and the revenue, uh, uh, mainly on over-the-counter airports also, we, we were doing extremely well there during the COVID period. So uh, we are also looking at new service center expansion. As you know, we are building right now capabilities uh, in, in other countries to better serve our customer, but to also capture a bigger share of, of uh, those, uh, those revenue in service. So, so we are moving uh, full steam ahead. Oh, sorry, there's a bit of noise. So we are moving full steam ahead on this clearly. And at the same time, you know, we have renewed our portfolio. So we are in a position also, uh, especially on the global, uh, especially on the Challenger, you know, we are refreshing our product. We've, we've been refreshing our Learjet also, uh, you know, as, as things move along to uh, have a more, uh, you know, more a new avionic, uh, avionic upgrade and different things like that. So we feel that uh, you've all, we've always been refreshing our cabin. So we are extremely happy with the position product-wise that we're in, and we believe that we have an amazing product portfolio to offer for those customers who will want to replace their, uh, their aging airplane. But we also have uh, the base to capture, you know, the uh, aftermarket uh, more and more uh, over the next uh, few years. Okay, and, then, and maybe next, just an, uh, more of an accounting question for John. It seems like every quarter you guys report you burn a billion dollars in cash. Uh, and, it, you know, we hear a lot of the same narrative. We're going to see working capital release. It's going to fix. It's going to change. But I think if you asked any of the sell-side analysts who follow you, if we were to throw, you know, starts at a board and the target was a billion dollar burn in a quarter, that's probably what you guys would do. I mean, how can we have any confidence in the second half that it's actually going to get better? Because if you look back at recent history, I mean, the cash burn for you guys has been, you know, pretty astonishingly awful and surprising. So, I mean, how are you going to get the investment community to believe that you can actually do this? Well, listen, I think, Ron, I mean, you know, for uh, I'm not going to do a historical here, but um, I think that uh, we've come out of a, a major investment cycle that did take a toll on on cash burn, and that's clear. I mean, um, with respect to our biggest challenge has been clearly releasing uh, train inventory and finished goods to customers, and um, we've built a significant amount of finished trains that uh, – do uh, our uh, our uh, uh, depressing our ability to uh, to convert cash uh, at rail, and um, the the real catalyst for that is uh, completing the homologation, uh, customer acceptance, and then the uh, entry into service of those trains, and uh, that's what we're focused on. Uh, with respect to, um, I'd say the the aerospace side of the house, uh, Aero has actually you know delivered. Uh, the uh, the uh, the expected cash flows for the business over the last uh, three four years, and really it's been a question of uh, investment cycle uh, in aerospace uh, programs, and um, and so that's really I mean the uh, the, the the cash flow uh, profile that we've carried and uh, we've we've baked that cash flow profile uh, with uh, the investment cycle. Yeah, and and just maybe just one last follow on on the. On the train side, is there a way to restructure the contracts that you guys don't have to carry all this working capital? You know, when you when you when I think about you know some of the defense companies that some of the analysts who follow you like myself follow, 
I mean, they structure their contracts with their customers, so they don't have to carry all that working capital and so on and so forth. I mean, like on a go forward basis, is there a way to change how you do your contracts? So if there's a delay on the customer side, you guys don't have to carry it. And you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like you're getting unfairly penalized in some of these cases for issues that you're having with your customers. Cause then you have all these trains that are piled up and you understand what I'm saying, John? I mean, is there, is there a way you can redo your contract that, you know, the burden of this isn't so much on you guys? Uh, look, I mean, yeah, of course, but we, we, we've got like three, 400 contracts in, in the backlog. And, uh, and um, so by and large, uh, they do uh, track uh, spend and inventory with, uh, with inflows. And so, we do typically get a deposit uh, on signing. Uh, we do get some payments for uh, heavily engineered projects, and then we get paid for milestones. Um, the hard reality is that over the last 18 months, uh, some of that, uh, some of those milestones uh, have, uh, you know, for various reasons. And yes, in some cases, you know, uh, you know, uh, working with our customers, and, and they may or may not be part of that. But the reality is that uh, that's what's hurting us. What's hurting us is uh, the buildup of the trains. And uh, the delay in hitting uh, homologation and uh, critical engineering milestones, and uh, that's left us uh, carrying, to your point, uh, fairly or unfairly, uh, significant amount of inventory. The ability to change, yes, uh, of course. The, the, there's probably significant lessons learned that have already been put into our uh, our uh, contracting, uh, but at you know at this point in time, I think we've got to work through what we have. And I think you know right, if I just. What, uh, what John is saying, it's very important to understand the, the issue we're facing right now at BT that we face are not related really to the contract structure. Usually, you know, when you sign the contract at the beginning, those are either cash neutral or they become positive. But clearly, we did face, and I said it earlier, some major performance issues. And then when you have those performance issues and you're getting late and you have to do the work, this is when you create inventory and you don't get the cash because you don't deliver the car. So we are uh, we have a major push uh, in the next coming quarters to uh, unlock exactly uh, what I just said because we've been successful on the three to four program that were on which we were sitting on a lot of inventory to to be able to deliver our first car. So now, you know, it's unlocked and 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 we're going to be uh, capturing that uh, cash inflow. Okay, thank you. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. The next question is from Noah Popanek from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Just staying on free cash flow. Um, in in two years, so you know you're out of this year, you're you're beyond next year, which is maybe a, a transition year at least to a degree. Um, when I'm looking at just the the remaining aerospace business. And it's a more normal environment. You've, you've reset production. The 7500's ramped. Its margin is ramped. So everything's reasonably normal. Uh, presumably, there's not still working capital build at that point in time. Um, what's the free cash flow margin of the aerospace business in that environment? I think it's, uh, it's early to make that call. I know. I think you know it's a bit uh, it's a bit hypothetical for me to to look at that now. I'd rather see what uh, what our uh, rates are, what we set uh, uh, our uh, production and uh, market demand uh, looks like. I think you know the second half of this year is what 
is what is going to give us uh, some color as to how we actually uh, work out 21 and then uh, enter 2022. Um, but John, you've had all those inputs that I just described in the business before. And to Ron's point, it's just impossible to model the cash flow statement. Yeah, I understand that, but you're asking me to give you a speculative number for 2022. I mean, we're in the middle of a. Well, I'm not really specifying 2022. I'm just saying when things are normal again, and I'm 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 sure you have some visibility into production and costs, given you know the the business jet market isn't. I mean, it's obviously bad this year, but it's not nearly as bad as the last downturn. And you have a product cycle that's actually growing. Um, so I, I appreciate if, it, if it's too speculative, but I was the question was assuming it, it maybe wasn't that speculative. I think, Noah, the, the, the fundamentals, as you, you, you mentioned earlier, we have refreshed our portfolio of products. So we have very competitive products, if not in most of them uh, being the leader in that category. Uh, in terms of performance, in terms of, uh, you know, availability, in terms of uh, many aspects. Uh, so we are starting on the right foot, clearly, when you look at the next coming years. You know, the 7,500 is ramped up. So we have the inventory we need to carry on with that, with that uh, platform. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think what John is alluding to is we need to better understand right now what's ahead of us in terms of the pandemic, the cycle. So which will help us to better understand the rates, pricing uh, that we'll be able to get. And, and those are two still important variables that we need to uh, sort out before uh, being in a position to provide uh, more accurate guidance. Okay. I, I, I respect all of those uncertainties. Um, just just um, one other question. Um, can you speak a little bit to, to the uh, bifurcation or, or what you're seeing between your high net worth individual customer versus your corporate customer. It's in speaking to some of the folks that transact in your airplanes in the secondary market, and it sounded like that the former was really moving significantly positively, um, but it sounds like maybe the latter is off completely, and so it sounds like in the near term it, it's still a net negative. Maybe, I don't know if you think that's, uh, that high net worth change is sustainable to be a net positive long term, but We'd just love to hear what you're seeing across the two customer sets. And if you can also just remind us your, your split in, in your business, uh, that'd be helpful. So um, uh, right now we see uh, amazing activity, I would say, in the uh, large and medium uh, segment. Uh, a little less, but still a, a little bit in the, uh, in the smaller, uh, in the lighter jets. So that's what we've been expecting here. Um, interesting uh, in Q2, uh, our assumption was that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a net order of zero. And we've been doing better than that. As you know, we've delivered 20 uh, airplanes with a, roughly a book to bill, which is gross minus cancellation of about 0.3. So this was better than expected. And, and that's, that momentum still carries on in, uh, in, in this quarter. So we see activity amazing activity actually at the large segment, amazing activity at the, uh, at the medium segment, uh, which is uh, uh, again uh, a good place to be. So we've reduced the rate. We are foreseeing the opportunity to rebuild some backlog uh, in those businesses and, and then we continue to monitor that. But so far, uh, you know, and, and the activity is, is, is good and it also uh, actually very strong on the used airplane. 
So uh, use airplane are, are also uh, you know at levels that are very uh, normal right now, even uh, slightly improving in uh, in some of the segments. Okay, thanks everyone. Thank you. Uh, no. Thank you. The next question is from Cameron Dirksen from National Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Good morning. Uh, just a couple of quick questions just on the uh, the sale of BT to Alstom. Uh, can you just run through what the remaining regulatory approvals are now that you've got the, the EU, what, what's left that, that needs to be completed? So um, first of all, I'll say that uh, you, you're, you're aware that, uh, you know, the uh, EU Commission was a major milestone and, um, uh, and an important one. So, um, uh, you know, we are still expecting a, a deal closing in H1 2021. Uh, we had the EC approval, which was a positive. We still have other regulatory to uh, achieve, you know, so we're working diligently with Alstom. We have US, Canada, Australia, and, and other countries like China. Uh, but we need to get those approval too. But it's, uh, it's heading everywhere in the right direction without speculating here. But uh, we're having uh, very capable people on both sides, you know, working these through. Um, we have also uh, later this summer, we are expecting the uh, work council approval. So uh, this is also uh, tracking, uh, tracking well. And in the coming months, uh, we are expecting uh, signing a purchase agreement. Uh, because you realize that today we are still working on an MOU, uh, and, uh, and uh, again, when we have those conditions, uh, we, uh, we should get to an SPA uh, in the coming months. Uh, I think after that, also an important milestone will be an Alstom shareholder vote, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we're getting through that. So, so far, uh, you know, things are progressing uh, super well as per plan. Okay, and so if, if things sort of progress as per the schedule that you've got right now, is there any reason why this couldn't close in Q1 of 2021? I mean, you've, you've, you've indicated H, uh, H1, but is, it seems to me like an earlier close might be possible. Well, you know, this is a speculative at this stage, so we're not in full control of all those things, and there's a lot of things to do. Uh, you know, we, uh, as an example, regulatory approval, we may consider that it's going to take one month, but it may take four. So, so there's too much uh, uh, things that are out of our control. But I can tell you that the team are engaged to, uh, you know, uh, make this uh, happening as soon as possible. But we still, it's too early right now to predict, and uh, and we are looking into um, into uh, H uh, H1 next year still, and uh, we'll be happy to report if we can do better than that, of course. Okay, great. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. The next question is from Robert Spingarn from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Two questions, one for Eric first and then one for John. Eric, in answering Noah just a moment ago, you mentioned positive trends for um, mid, uh, heavy jets and used. The only thing you didn't talk about was light. I'm just wondering if COVID is bringing some new customers to private jet travel through, let's say, charter, card, fractional, might we see renewed interest in the light jet and, and renewed interest for the first time in maybe a decade at Lear? You know, uh, uh, it's a very good question, Rob. So um, you are absolutely right that I did not uh, maybe mention uh, light. Light is, is, there is activity, but not as much as medium and large right now. So that's a reality. But 
what you are exactly right is to point into the direction of the uh, you know fleet operator. So as you know, we are a major uh, supplier to the fleet uh, to to those fleet, and I know for a fact that those fleets right now are doing extremely well. So uh, they are uh, still recovering, but at the same time, they have a lot of activity uh, in terms of sales, in terms of interest for their business, which has not translate yet into uh, you know order for us. But if that momentum and there's a, a theory here that we are studying very carefully that if, you know, people that used to fly commercial, uh, you know, are now considering, and we believe it's going to happen, we'll be probably starting at the uh, uh, working with the fleet operator, which will eventually translate in orders probably for our business. And eventually these people often, they fly for a while, you know, with the fleet operator, and then sometimes they become, uh, uh, they want to own their own airplane. So, um, so it's, it's too soon to assess and, and, and visualize that right now. But clearly the one piece that we can visualize today is the uh, level of sales activity at the, at the fleet operator. So more and more, and we see also their flight uh, picking up uh, a little bit everywhere. So um, it's, a, it's a fair assessment and, uh, and we'll continue to monitor that, but eventually uh, we think that this could uh, translate into uh, more business for us. Okay. Okay. And then, John, um, I'm afraid I'm going to take another crack at the question that both Noah and Seth were attempting to ask you, but I'll be a little more specific. Down the road, when things normalize, is it reasonable to look at BizJet as a $6 billion revenue business, maybe 120 to 130 or 40 deliveries per year, uh, plus aftermarket, with a free cash flow return of about 4 to 5% on sales? Um, I mean, look, it, it's not that, uh, I mean, I can do the math with you guys and, and that's fine. But I think the, what I'm trying to tell you is that I, I am not going to make a call on a two, three year, uh, business projection today. I, it, it's just, you know, I mean, we're going to go through what we're going to go through here and look at the second half of the year. Um, it might be a $6 billion business. It might be a $7 billion business. It might be you know, 150 or might be 120. I, you know, today is not the day for those comments. And with respect to the ability of the business to generate cash, um, the business generates cash. It does today. We have a balance sheet that needs to be uh, deleveraged. That's going to come with an interest cost reduction. The size of that reduction needs to be assessed. We need to be able to manage through these transactions and the current year to be able to do that. The ability for us to go out and then uh, identify uh, rate reduction opportunities against the, the cost of our debt is important as well. And with respect to the ability of the aircraft business to generate cash, uh, this is a business that has and can show the ability to be uh, certainly a double-digit uh, EBITDA margins as it goes forward with the 7,500 and with a disciplined capital allocation uh, plan uh, should be able to convert 80, 90 cents on the dollar of earnings to cash. And um, I think that's really what the, uh, the future of that aircraft business uh, will look like. But it's dependent on rates. As Eric said, the environment that we're operating in, pricing, and uh, the variables around our balance sheet. Okay, well, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you both. 
Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Miles Walton from UBS. Please go ahead. Thanks. Um, I was hoping, John, you could maybe give us a, a little bit of color underlying the 2020 numbers we're looking at, the two, $2.7 cash burn you're implying for the year. How much realistically would you attribute to business aviation in that burn? Um, I, I think you said the COVID impact would be two and a quarter for the year is, is BA of $1.5 billion of that. Um, so maybe if you could parse the 2.7 this year by the two seconds. And the way I would think about it is that um, you've got a billion, about a billion and a half that comes out of uh, BA. Now, don't forget, you know, part of the reason that we went out and uh, secured the uh, the uh, financing facility was to absorb a lot of that uh, working capital build. We came into the year, obviously, with higher expectations for deliveries, and uh, that creates a, a production rate and a working capital build that uh, gets adjusted with a pretty severe uh, adjustment to demand that's occurred. We've managed out some of it, but um, not all of it will uh, will be absorbable. Um, I also mentioned in my comments that um, we're unwinding uh, some uh, supplier extension and uh, and financing solutions that we had in place to support the 7,500 ramp up. So that does create drag on uh, on the BA number. So as I mentioned, about a billion and a half and um, uh, order advances uh, contribute to that. Working capital build. Uh, contributes to that. Uh, probably, I would say, you know, a third to the advances, two thirds to the uh, to the fact that uh, reduced deliveries and uh, and as we manage the uh, the production rates, and uh, and then of course within that uh, the uh, the implication of uh, the wind down of the of the, uh, the uh, extension facility. When you look at the train side of the house, uh, again, you know, if you kind of just look overall, we're at 2.7 billion mid-year mid now, and we're trying to drive a break-even second half, which would suggest a 2.7 full year. So the, uh, you know, the, uh, the train side of the house uh, is, um, is uh, you know, probably uh, I don't know, 750 of the, uh, of the COVID-related impact. And then you've got the drag from the, uh, the train projects that we described this quarter. Uh, so that's another 3350 of uh, kind of cash funding of that charge. So think about, uh, you know, something approaching a billion. Okay. So, so roughly a half to, to two thirds is, is BA driven in terms of the cash burn for the year, but you laid out all the reasons. And then just the factoring piece, um, is that a headwind at 21 as well? Is this a one, one quarter or one half effect, or does that then add uh, increased seasonality to your cash performance such that one, 1H next year would be um, uh, impacted. No, the way we're, we're uh, managing this is that um, you know, as the, as the, as things kind of got dislocated in uh, April and May, uh, we decided to wind down the facility, and so that's going to take the remainder of the year. Given the fact that uh, you know, whatever payable extensions are in there get paid out mm -hmm. normally, we're not introducing new ones in there, so it's kind of got an effect largely in the second half of the year. Um, and, uh, and as a result, I would say that by and large, as we go into 2021, uh, you're, uh, it's, it's pretty much uh, wound down. I mean, there may be some small residual left, but that's kind of it. So I would say the impacts are to the current year in a kind of a one-time effect. And then for 2021-22, uh, uh, it would be uh, neutral. Okay. Thank All right. Miles. Thank you. Operator, we have Thank time you. for uh, one final question. 
Perfect, thank you. The last question will be from Kai Von Rumer from Cowan. Please go ahead. Yes, thanks so much. So I, to follow up on Miles, um, you mentioned 2.2 billion COVID impact, 300, 350 basically goes to the charges you took at BT. But you also talked about a lot of this inventory buildup that will release next year. How much of the remaining you know, 1.9 billion of full year COVID is just expense which you will not recover? And roughly how much is inventory that could turn into cash next year? Um, so on the, on the earnings side, I would say that uh, you know, by and large, you've got uh, the direct costs uh, associated with um, with the actual pandemic, and then there's um, probably in the neighborhood of another a few hundred million dollars that comes from the uh, the loss uh, lost revenue, right? So you're looking at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half, three billion dollars of lower revenue. You've got probably mid-teen gross margins on that. So the uh, the component of uh, of that that is um, uh, I would say earnings impact is somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five hundred million. Um, there's a component of this which is uh, which is about uh, uh, the order book as well. So I'm not going to forecast a kind of a, a full recovery of our backlog. In other words, um, we uh, we uh, in 2020 are going to have significantly less orders than we would have expected. Um, that's going to contract the backlog. That cash uh, that's typically in the backlog is going to be, at this point in time, assumed to be a kind of a permanent reduction. When we when we come back, we'll see if uh, we can outpace uh, deliveries with the orders, but that's to be seen. So, in terms of um, of inventories themselves, if you think along the lines of uh, of the the working capital facility uh, that we went out and secured, we're looking at 750 to a billion of usage on that facility. And I think, you know, by and large, that's what's going to be uh, uh, the inventory that will have to come out of the system over the period of probably the next 12, 18 months or so. And it's really a question of, you know, what we do with the production rates next year and, you know, how we see the market and uh, what we want to do with, uh, with respect to, uh, to fully burning off uh, the excess. Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, thanks for your, your question. So... I'd like to thank you again for joining us this call, the call this morning. Uh, we do appreciate uh, your continuing interest in, uh, in Bombardier. And as always, Patrick will be available if you have further questions about today's release. Uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again in the next quarter. And until then, please stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you. The conference is now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.